0: Well, when I mention the word money, what do you think of? I think everyone has some type of a feeling towards money, right? Some type of an attitude or opinion or it affects our days every day, right? It affects our lives completely. What do you think of when you think of money? Well, as believers, I think what we think of money is really going to indicate uh, pretty well where our walk with the Lord is. Um, And it also can reveal those who maybe do not know the Lord based on how they think about or, or uh, view finances. The Lord Jesus himself said you cannot serve two masters. You're either going to love one and hate the other. You cannot serve God and money or mammon. The reality is money is something that we all need in a sense because we all need to purchase food to pay for rent or, house or mortgage, whatever it might be clothing. But yet the Lord God has said in his word that we're not to seek those things, so we see evidently we're not to be seeking or learning or loving money. The Apostle Paul shared in first Timothy that those who desire even to, to go after it uh, pierce themselves with many a pang. And yet we do need it. Well what about security? Don't we want to feel good that we have enough money in the bank that we're secure until we retire or through retirement? Well, the reality is for believers the lord god wants to be our security and it doesn't matter specifically our view of what we have and what we don't have now i'm not saying we're not to be wise stewards god is very clear about how we are to handle money god is very clear about work and labor and those things but how are we to handle money well today we're going to see the last portion concerning the reality of contentment in christ And we're going to see that the last element of that, recognizing that we can, we are enabled to do all things through Christ who strengthens us, is having a right viewpoint towards the body of Christ and thus, within that, a right viewpoint towards finances. We're going to see a picture and get a picture of biblical giving as the Apostle Paul lays forth his testimony concerning the gift that the Philippians had given him so graciously. Let's turn our Bibles to Philippians chapter 4, and we are Lord willing, unless the Lord takes us all, or I die in the pulpit, Lord forbid that, but uh, we're going to finish Philippians today. And so be praying about uh, what we'll do next time and what we'll be looking at, the next book. Now, you've most of you have been here, but I want to remind you of the context, tremendous, wonderful book that we've seen, the Apostle Paul uh, thanking God and praising him and praying for these Philippians that they would just abound in their love and real discernment and knowledge, they would abound in that. And and he has uh, shared his love for them. He's so thankful. He is so confident. He is that God will complete that good work that he has began. He's confident. And then within that, he has shared uh, his circumstances that he's in chains, and they know that. But although he's in chains, the gospel is not changed, and God has been using that difficulty for further progress of the gospel. And within that we saw the Apostle Paul's attitude being chained to a Roman soldier 24 7 with the possibility of going to his own death. Uh, that to live is Christ and to die is gain. But he seemed to understand, inspired by the Spirit, that he would continue on for the benefit of the body of Christ, for the benefit of these Philippians. And he yet he shared that whether in life or death, that it was his desire for for Christ to be glorified. And then he addressed the Philippians' attitudes, that they were to stand firm for the faith of the gospel. They're not to be uh, shaken up by their opposition, which is a sign that their opposition is on their way to destruction. and They're on their way to glory. They were to have the mindset of Christ concerning one another. They were to think of one another as more important than themselves. They were to be like-minded. They were to have unity in the Lord. And more specifically, they were to have the mind of Christ. Our Lord Jesus Christ, who did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking on the form of a bondservant and being found in the likeness of men, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's the mindset we are to have, which is seeing others as more important than ourselves in the context of our Lord. And within that, uh, humbling ourselves to obey God in regards to one another. The Lord Jesus obeyed the Father's will all the way to the point of death. That's absolute humility we see, and his love manifest for us. And therefore, because of what Christ did, he was highly exalted, back to his rightful place, visibly in a sense. He was always Lord of Lords, but visibly back to his rightful place. That ultimately every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Therefore, you and I are to be working out our salvation with fear and trembling. We're to work it out. We're to work out what God is working in. If you're a true believer and God's Word by His Spirit is working in your heart, we're then to obey it. We're to work it out. We're to accomplish, in a sense, what He has called us to do by His power and strength. But we're to do that with fear and trembling because God is at work in us. And we are commanded as believers to do all things or without complaining and gruffling, grumbling or disputing. We are not to do that. It is so contrary to trusting Jesus Christ. It is so contrary to humility before Him. It is so contrary to seeing others as more important than yourself. We are to do all things without complaining and disputing. And then within that, we saw tremendous examples of three servants who 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 emulated this. The Apostle Paul himself, Epaphroditus, which we'll look at in Timothy. And then in chapter three, the Apostle Paul makes it clear he considers it right to remind us of things, that we should be rejoicing in the Lord. And again, I say rejoice. But also, he's reminding them of the dangers to their faith in Jesus Christ. There are imposters out there. There are imposters, and the way you can identify them is that the imposters are the opposite of what the Apostle Paul manifests. He said, we are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God, not in their flesh, but the Spirit of God glory in christ jesus rather than in self or people and put no confidence in the flesh you never ever want to go to a church where your leaders put confidence in the flesh you never ever want to be under anyone that does that because it's an evidence that maybe they are not truly the lord's paul says we are the true circumcision we don't do that and for us as believers that is the way we are to walk We're to put no confidence in the flesh. But the Apostle Paul said, if anyone could have the religious qualifications to put confidence in the flesh, I'm the guy. And he gives a list of all those things to which he could put confidence in. And he did. But when he came to Christ, or as Christ came to him on that road to Damascus that day, he then considered all those things as lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ. He gained a relationship with the living God. And what was in the way? His own abilities, his own confidence in his own flesh. He had to die to himself by confessing that, by understanding it was all worthless. All that religious junk that he thought made him right before God was worthless was worthless that he would be found in a righteousness not of his own but through faith in jesus christ and then he shared the reality that he and and we should be pressing forward to the goal not looking back forgetting what lies behind oh we have a problem with that don't we we, we we so include the things that lie behind in the way we see people, and the way we act, whatever it might be. The Apostle Paul didn't do that. He didn't forget it per se, but he didn't apply it to the reality of how he saw things. Forgetting what lies behind and pressing forward to that upward call in Christ Jesus, becoming like Jesus Christ. And then he told us, the Philippians and us, that we should be imitators of him and those who walk like him. We should look at the way the Apostle Paul trusted Jesus and then acted upon that and imitate that in our hearts. And the reality is there are those who don't walk. There are those who, who used to pretend or maybe look like it, but now they're enemies of the cross, whose God is their, their desires or their appetites. That's their God who, 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 put their, put their, who, who set their mind on earthly things. Yes, we live in this earth and we do think about earthly things, but we as believers are to set our minds on the things above. The non-believer lives in the sphere of only thinking about this right here. We as believers are to set our minds on the things above because we eagerly await a Savior who coming will transform us with the power that he has, will be glorified when he comes. And so we eagerly wait for him. Therefore, chapter 4, we should stand firm in the Lord. Stand firm in the Lord and then Paul begins to kind of close up things in this book as he shares uh, how to address a little spat between uh, two women who were serving the Lord. They were to be like-minded or think the same way. They were to live in harmony in the Lord. They were to do exactly what Paul had taught through this whole letter, that they would see others as more important than themselves. They would think like Christ, obey the Lord, even to their own detriment, which for Christ was death on the cross. You see, that's our problem. We're not willing to obey the Lord when things get tough. We want our way or we want uh, to feel better, whatever it might be. But true humility, as we see like in Jesus, obeys even to the point of death, as we see as his example. So with that in mind, we then came to how we can uh, escape the trap of worry and anxiety, we're to let our forbearing spirit be known to all men. Let it let it shine forth as we are able to endure through difficulties in the midst of relationships, situations, whatever it might be. Because the Lord is near. He's going to take care of it. He's going to take care of those who are wronging. He's going to take care of all that. Maybe they'll get saved. That's our hope. But if not, He'll take care of it. The Lord is near. And then we saw so clearly the command that we are to be anxious for Nothing. But in prayer, we shall are to be, uh, th- with supplication through thanksgiving, be making our requests known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. We are to pray rather than worry. When we're tempted to worry, which we all are, we give it over to the Lord. We cast those cares. Lord, this is what's before me. I need your help. I'm, I'm asking you to help me understand your ways, What to trust you in this. Lord, help me in this, whatever it might be. We make our requests known to him. And he promises to guard garrison our hearts with a peace that is that is that you cannot comprehend. It's a promise. And then we saw we are to think of those things that bring glory and honor to God, those things that are worthy of praise. So much of what we think, think about is not worthy of praise we think about the failures of others we think about the failures of ourself we think about the situations around we need to think about those things that are worthy of praise we need to apply the truth of god's sovereignty and his love and his grace over those circumstances so that we see them from the right perspective we're to think of those whatever's those things that give him glory and honor and praise and then we are to The things that we have learned and heard and learned and seen and and heard in in the Apostle Paul. We are to accomplish those things. Do what you have learned. If you've been in this church for a long time, you have learned a lot of truth. Apply it. Apply it in your relationships. Apply it in your walk with Christ. Apply it. Do it by His power and strength. And then within that, uh, we came to... The beginning of the end of this passage, we saw the wonderful reality of what we're supposed to be doing as the Lord God graciously enables us to trust him. We saw very clearly and we're going to look at today that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us and we'll review that in a moment. So with that in mind, how are we to be content in the midst of such difficulties? How is it that we do this? Well, today we're going to see if we have the right view of our finances in relationships to those in need, the body of Christ. That's one element that reveals we have learned how to trust Jesus Christ. We have learned how to walk in him. We have learned how to rest in him. Let's take a look at our passage. Turn to Philippians chapter 4, and we're going to be looking at verses 14 to 23. And as I said, Lord willing, we're going to finish today. Now, I want to back up to what we saw last week because we're going to review that first and then we'll go into our passage. So let's start our reading back in verse 10. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly now that at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means. I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That's what we saw last week. Now our passage. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction, Paul is writing. And you yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel after I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving but you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift once, more than once for my needs, not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek the profit which increases to your account. But I have received everything in full and have an abundance I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. That's what we're going to look at right now, and then we'll finish with the, the greetings in the end. Now, if you'll remember, as I've just read, that those who are content are not driven by want. If you are driven by your desires, you are not content. You are not content. If you are driven by your desire for peace, security, for finance, whatever it might be, if that is driving you, you are not content. Remember back in verse 10, Paul says, But I rejoiced greatly that now at least you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Paul rejoices that the Philippians were concerned about him. They were thinking about him, literally. So concerned, they sent Epaphroditus 1,600 miles to bring a gift, a substantial gift, and to aid him while he was in prison. And at this point, Paul has to address the possibility of being misunderstood. You know, Satan gets in our mind at times. Not that he gets in us, but he he tempts us. And even within the body of Christ, there's temptations to think wrongly about someone. And Paul has to qualify with these dear Philippians that he's not speaking from want. Notice what he says. He says just that, not that I speak from want or according to want. Lest they misunderstand the Apostle Paul that he's just trying to butter them up for another gift, he makes clear his thankfulness and his rejoicing in the Lord is not based on need or want and this brought us to our first point last week that those who are truly content are not driven by their wants and desires they're not driven by it you have to trust the lord as we're going to see you got to trust that he's going to take you through everything that he's going to provide for you you got to trust financially as we're going to see today that he who sows sparingly will reap sparingly, but he who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. god will take care of you if you see it all as His, if you trust Him, He's going to take care of you. He's going to take care of you. So then, with that in mind, we came to the second thing we saw about contentment. We saw the secret of contentment. That the Apostle Paul had learned it through circumstances. He learned the secret of contentment through circumstances. Verse 11 Not that I speak from want, for, this is an explanation, I have learned to be content in whatever circumstance I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned a secret. He's learned a secret of being filled and going hungry, both having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me, or Christ who strengthens me. He did nothing out of want. And this term contentment speaks of literally nothing from outside, all from the inside. And what does that mean? For a non-believer, it's the self-sufficient person. But for a believer, it's nothing from outside but everything from him. That's the contentment. That's contentment. And it brings a sense of peace and joy. It produces a happy state of mind. When you're content, there's joy. I'll tell you that right now. When you're content in the Lord. Now here, Paul says, not that I speak from want, but I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances. True Christian contentment is learned in the crucible of circumstances. Where we apply the word of God to our circumstances and trust the Lord in those circumstances, he brings contentment and he teaches us that within them. And what was the context? Again, circumstances, circumstances. He says He has learned, middle of verse 12, in any and every circumstance, the things of me, in any and every things of me. Well, what are the things of you? That's your circumstances. The things of you. He's learned in any and every one. In every one. He's learned the secret. We saw that term, the secret. The spoke of initiation into a cult religion, but He's changed it. He's sanctified the word. He's learned a secret. It's something that really is not manifest unless you go through circumstances and you apply the Word of God to those circumstances and boom, you learn the secret. And what's the secret? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now I shared, literally translated to this, all things I'm continually given the ability to do or accomplish. All things he gives me the ability to do, the ability to endure hardship, no money, lots of money, whatever it might be. He gives me the ability to do it through Him who strengthens me or empowers me. That's the secret. When you are following the Lord, He gives you the strength for whatever you need to do. He gives you the strength to endure through the difficulties. He gives you the strength to do what is right. He gives you the strength to think the right way. He gives you the strength. You learn the secret. It's all Christ. It's all Christ. Paul learned in whatever circumstances he was in, as dictated by God's sovereign will, that as he abided in him and trusted in him, he would be empowered by Christ to do whatever he called him to do by his wonderful strengthening. I am given the ability to do all things in him who continually empowers me. That's the way we should see it. That's the secret. That's the secret. But again, I shared this caveat last week. It's not a blanket promise that you can do anything you want to do. It's anything and everything that he calls you to do. He says, do your work hardly unto the Lord and unto men. I can't do that. He gives you the power to do it. I've learned a secret even in the midst of a bad job situation. He says, love your wives, wives, respect your husbands. I can't do that. He gives you the power to do that in those situations. He says, serve with the strength that he supplies. He gives us the ability to do that. To teach his word, to give us very oracles. He does that. And we learn that in the midst of difficulty as we step out in faith. As we are truly resting in, resting in Christ. Not resting in Christ. You don't want be resting in Christ. That's not good. As we are truly resting in Christ... His word abiding in us, we abiding in him. He will empower us to do what he wants us to do. And if we have Christ, we have need truly of nothing. Whether we have nothing or whether we have everything. You see, because we're seeing things different. Do you see your circumstances as God's crucible for learning to trust Christ? Maybe it's discipline. That's okay. Learn from the word. Learn from the word and learn the secret. He'll give you the ability to endure discipline because he's making like Christ. The peaceful fruit of righteousness is coming from that, right? Whatever it might be. I have been given the ability to do all things in him who strengthens me. Learn the secret. The secret. So with that in mind, we see very clearly that those who are content are not driven by want. And those who are content have learned through the crucible of circumstance that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And then lastly, we're going to see related to this very part because it connects together that those who are content will manifest a true concern financially for others in the body of Christ. There's actually going to be a concern. And there's also going to be an eternal concern for where their heart is with God in relationship to their giving. We're going to see that with the Apostle Paul. Verse 14. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. And you yourselves know, also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving but you alone. For even in Thessalonica you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, but for the, the seek the profit which it increases to your account. But I have received everything in full and have abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now... To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, you know, as we go through the Word of God, we don't usually choose subjects or topics to teach here, but here today we come upon a passage where we're going to learn about where our heart should be in regards to finances, where our heart should be in regards to giving, to giving. We're going to see that as we look at the example of the Apostle Paul and the example of the Philippians. We're going to see that if you are content and your heart is right towards finances, then God's going to supply all your needs. You know, people say this and they quote this verse, my God shall supply all your needs of Christ Jesus, but they don't read the context. The context is one who is completely sold out to give to what God would have them use their money for, for the sake of his glory. One who has a right view of finances. So with that in mind, let's take a look. Notice uh, the Apostle Paul is more concerned for their welfare, more concerned for the Philippians' welfare than his welfare being met. I'm going to read two verses. Look at uh, 17. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. It wasn't about the cash or the money. And then verse uh, 19, I just quoted it. And my God shall supply all your needs. That's right now. That's right now. So then with this in mind, there were two things that Paul was concerned about. He was concerned about their eternal uh, reward for their heart in giving what the Lord had prompted them to give. And he was also concerned that they understood temporarily that God would supply all their needs. All their needs. Notice he begins in verse 14, he says, Nevertheless, nevertheless, lest the Philippians think he is ungrateful for their gift, that he is just spiritually aloof, left hand, right hand, I'm not even going to say thank you, not seeing things rightly. He says, nevertheless, nevertheless, he knew who gave it to him. Nevertheless, you have done well, he says, to share with me in my affliction. You've done well. The term done, translated done well, means good. You've done the right thing. You've done the right thing to share with me. Soon koinonia, to, to, to share with, to share with me. And then he says something very interesting. In my affliction. Well, wait a second. I thought they just gave him a gift. How is it that they are sharing in his affliction? You've done well. You've done well. You're sharing with me in my affliction. Well, the term affliction here Philippians speaks of tribulation or outward pressure. And certainly the apostle Paul is speaking of his imprisonment, the affliction that he was going under for the gospel, for the gospel. He's in chains and he has shared his imprisonment three times in chapter one. And he's also shared the possibility of execution by Rome in chapter one. Turn back a little bit to Philippians one uh, People are saying they're freezing, but we have no one who does the controls today. So we're just going to on our jackets by the way pray for jim he's doing good but pray for him okay so then here philippians 1:20. according to my earnest inspection and hope that i shall not be put to shame in anything but with boldness that christ shall even now as always be exalted in my body whether by life or by death he was afflicted afflicted certainly physically but also emotionally You know, Paul was a human being like us. He had to deal with the temptations that we would have under the same circumstances. He was afflicted. And he said, nevertheless, you have done well to share with me. And he actually makes it that you guys are sharers in my affliction. You're sharing this. Now, concerning affliction for believers, folks, we need to recognize at times we are going to experience suffering for Christ. Not all the time, but at times we will. Let me share some passages Turn to John chapter 15, verse 18. Jesus makes it clear to his disciples on the night he was betrayed. John fifteen eighteen. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, well, the world would love its own. But because you're not of the world, because I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know the one who sent me. Uh, In Philippians, a little earlier in chapter 1, the Apostle Paul told them to be not alarmed by their opponents. He said in chapter 1, verse uh, 29, For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake not only to believe but also to suffer for his sake, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me, Paul says, and now here, to be in me. We know that affliction is coming. Not all the time, but we know it's coming. Turn to First Thessalonians chapter 3. The apostle Paul shares with the Thessalonians, Hey, I told you it was coming and it did. I told you. I told you. And it's not forever, folks. It's temporal, as we'll see. But it is difficult at times to follow Christ. First Thessalonians chapter three. Paul says, Therefore, when we could endure it no longer, he couldn't he was wondering, How are they doing? How are they doing in their temptations? Are they are they is Satan's tempting? how's it, how's it going? We could endure it no longer. We thought it best to be left behind in Athens alone. We sent Timothy, our brother. And fellow worker in the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you as to your faith. So that no man may be disturbed by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we have been destined for this. For indeed when we were with you we were, t- we were kept telling you in advance that we were going to suffer affliction. And so it came to pass as you know. They told them they were going to suffer and also the Thessalonians were suffering. The reality is, we're going to suffer. What about 1 Peter 4? Do not be surprised at the fiery deal which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree you share, the sufferings of Christ, right? Keep on rejoicing. You see, if you're a believer, we are going to suffer at times during this temporary stay on earth. But yet... There are the sufferings for the glories to follow. Romans chapter 8. Sufferings for the glories to follow. And we know, as Jesus said, that when this happens, we are to rejoice and be glad for our reward in heaven is great. Matthew chapter 5. Sufferings for the glories to follow. So back in Philippians chapter 4, verse 14, he says, Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction he's saying they co-participate in his tribulation and there's a principle here when you share with those who are following the lord you actually become co-sharers of what they are going through spiritually speaking they became co-sharers of his affliction by giving to him in that affliction very interesting god doesn't have everyone go through the same experience all the time right and here the Apostle Paul is afflicted and he says, you're sharing, you've done well. You've done good to share with me in my affliction. As That's his affliction. Now within that, we know that at times when we share with those uh, in ministry, we participate. We co-participate in what that is. And we want to be careful who we share with. We we'll want to be careful who we give to. We we'll want to be careful the ministries we give to because if it's not good, we actually share in their sin, by the way. Let me share an example. Turn to 2 John. 2 John. Right before Revelation. 2 John chapter 1. There's only one chapter. It's a Bible joke every time, right? Um, Verse 8. Verse 8. Now John is saying, he's going to say, well, be, be on guard, watch yourself. You don't lose what, we, what we've done. You don't lose the work in the Lord in terms of your relationship with him and the reward that comes for that. He says, watch yourselves that you might not lose what we have accomplished. It's the word of God that came forth from John and they've been built up. They've been built up. But that you may receive a full reward. Guess what? You might not receive a full reward if you don't watch yourself. He says, if anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. The one who abides in the teaching, he is both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you, and this is a church context, they had house churches, and it comes to you and does not bring this teaching, it's the teaching of Christ from the Word of God that the Apostle John had brought forth. If anyone doesn't bring this teaching, do not receive him in your house. And it says, do not give him a greeting. In these days, when believers gave one another a greeting, it was a symbol that I believe you're a believer and we're believers. How are you doing, believer? It was a greeting. Do not treat them as a believer. Don't let them in. Don't call them believers. Don't give them a greeting. For the one who, what? Gives him a greeting. Gives him a greeting. Participates in his evil deeds this is why we don't participate with churches that are that deny truth about christ this is why we can't do that if we do we participate in their evil deeds now on a side note when you give to those in the context as we're seeing here the philippians as god led them obviously to support the apostle paul in his need they participated in his affliction and thus Paul will reveal they're going to participate in his reward, in that reward. So with that in mind, we need to know that a lot of missionaries may not be doing God's work. Examine what's going on. When you give, make sure it is God's work. Make sure it is biblical. Make sure it's biblical who you give to or you participate in that. Make sure you do. And on personal level, when you share with this body your finances, even for me in the context of your shepherd, you share in the eternal reward, as we're going to say, of what God does through the word of God that he brings forth. Isn't that amazing? It's amazing. God has different giftings and different things for different parts. And we work together as one for his glory. So back to our passage. Notice, Their motives for the Philippians were were right. They were right. They had the right motives. Uh, Verse 15. And you yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel after I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving but you alone. For even in Thessalonica you sent a gift more than once for my needs. You know this. You yourselves know this by experience, Philippians. You know this is the truth. You know it. And basically he's saying, you know, they gave with the right motives. They were the only church, after he shared the gospel with them, who had given to him when he had left. And they even sent uh, gifts to him in Thessalonica more than once. And he wasn't there a long time either, by the way. The Apostle Paul is sharing, hey, you guys gave with the right motives. You have cared for me. You have cared for me in the ministry shared a gift more than once no other church did it but you guys did you guys did and we see their motives turn to 2nd Corinthians chapter 8 what we see here in the context of 2nd Corinthians is that the Apostle Paul had made known to churches there was a need in Jerusalem that there was a need and even in 1st Corinthians chapter 16 they were to collect every first day of the week to help out the church in Jerusalem they were to collect the first day of week Sunday, by the way. And he had made known that there was a need, and the Corinthians had basically promised to give, and then they had a, they had a spat with Paul, in a sense, because of the false teachers, and then they no longer were going to give. And so Paul had to encourage them back to their previous pledge that their hearts would be right, and that's what this discourse in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 are about. And notice what he says in verse chapter 8, verse 1, 2 Corinthians 8. Now, my brethren, we wish to make known to you, he's talking to the Corinthians, the grace of God, that's speaking of the gift of money that was given, but it's God's grace, by the way, which has been given in the churches of Macedonia. That's Philippi is in there. Okay? That in great ordeal of affliction, the abundance of joy and their deep poverty, they were poor, overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. They gave from their poverty. Most people give from their riches. They gave from their poverty. For I testify according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave, a, gave of their own accord. Begging us. The implication was Paul was probably saying, you know what, Philippians, you don't need to give in this. It's okay. Because they were poor. But they begged. Begging us, verse 4, with much entreaty for favor of participation for the support of the saints. And this, not only as we had expected, but they first gave of themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. The Philippians had been giving to, to the church to help the church of Jerusalem. They had given to Paul. They had the right heart in giving. They had the right, right heart. And now on a side note, we have an incredible discourse on giving there in these two chapters. Just on a side note, we'll look at it a little bit. There's an incredible discourse here in chapters 8 and 9 on the right heart forgiving. The right heart forgiving. In great ordeal of affliction, abundance of joy, deep poverty overflowed. We see that. They begged with much entreaty. We saw that. They were not simply detached check writers to calm their conscience. Notice what this says. They first gave of themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. The will of God. Paul is reminding of their godly mindset and he rejoices. He rejoices. And then if we go to chapter 9, go to chapter 9. He says in verse 7, Let each one of you do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. You know, I believe when we're grudgingly or under compulsion, we're in sin, and God doesn't want to see; doesn't want it. But when our hearts are right, we want to give. I tell you right now, when I came to faith in Jesus Christ, I didn't have to hear a sermon about giving. I wanted to give. I wanted to give. And I believe it's a it's an it's an indication where your finances are, of where your heart is at. Let me share some passages on. On giving and where our heart should be turn to matthew chapter 6 matthew chapter 6 as i mentioned at the beginning of the message i believe where your money is in your heart is a is, is a reflection of where your relationship is with the god with with god matthew chapter 6 verse 1 beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them Otherwise you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. When then for you give alms, do not sound the trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be honored by men. Truly, truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. That's say if you want to do it for man's sake, there's your reward. You got it right now, right? But notice what he says. But when you give alms, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your alms may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret may repay you. Now, this means you should not be doing it for people to see. It doesn't mean at times people will not know about it, because in our passage, Paul knows the Philippians gave them. He's thanking them publicly. It's talking about the motive of the heart to be seen by man or not, right? It's talking about the motive of the heart. Skip down a little farther to Matthew 6, verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What about uh, what was read earlier? Go to 2 Corinthians 9 and keep your fingers in that because we will go back there a little bit. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6. We already read verse 5, but let's look at. Actually, we haven't read verse 5, but we will. Look at, let's look at verse 6. You're saying which verse? 2 Corinthians 9, 6. Now I say, He who sows sparingly shall also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully also shall reap bountifully. Let each one do what he has purposed in his own heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. If you're chintzy with your giving to God, you're going to reap. In a sense, eternally, it's going to be chintzy, right? If you're gracious and bountiful, we'll see the principles here are God is going to overflowing supply for you to give for more. He's going to supply for all your needs. Now, it's not a give-to-get scheme like on TBN, which is a lie. It's a right heart to give that God would be glorified and his people would be taken care of, and God will then reward eternally for that. How about um, Ephesians chapter four twenty? I'll share with this you now I'll share with this you don't need to turn there. Basically uh one of the reasons why God wants us to work, by the way, is, is, is said here. Ephesians four twenty eight Let him who steals steal no longer. But rather let him labor, by the way, work is labor, performing with his hands what is good in order that he may have something to share with him who is in need. Work so that you can share with those in need. This is for Christians, for Christians. What about uh, Proverbs 21, verse 25? Let's turn there, Proverbs 21, verse 25. And now as I share these verses, if you become, oh, I feel like I have to do this now, then you're not hearing it rightly. It should free you up to have a right heart to graciously give as God leads righteously to what he leads. Proverbs chapter 21, verse 25. The desire of the sluggard puts him to death. And he says here, for his hands refuse to work. All day long he is craving. He just wants, 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 but doesn't do anything. While the righteous gives and does not hold back. The righteous gives and does not hold back. For the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination. How much more is it when he brings it with evil intent? First John chapter 3. We know this, loved by this, that he laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for our brethren. But whoever has the world's goods and beholds a brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us love with word. Let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. And Ben read this earlier, Proverbs three nine. Honor the Lord from your wealth. Are you doing that, believer? Are you honoring him from your wealth? He says, and from the first of your produce, that means the first fruits you give to him. You give to him. First of your produce, so that your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow. There's a principle that when you are concerned about the Lord and his honor, and you are concerned about his people in the context of love, you're concerned about the ministry in the context of righteousness, God will take care of you. God will take care of you. He will supply all your needs in Christ Jesus. not talking about being foolish. He calls for us to work. He calls for us to provide for our families. But he also says honor with the first. And how does God feel about those who mess with the church concerning the issue of giving? How does he feel about the fake people who do it to be seen? How does he feel about them? He doesn't have a very good view of that. Turn to Acts chapter 5. God does not take too kindly to the one whose heart is evil in intent who's trying to do it for outward purposes we've had that here we had to say no to millions of dollars and we did because the intent was wrong acts chapter 5 verse 1 and the context of this was people by the by the spirit of god were just laying down their finances before the apostles feet that they would give to those in need that's the context and that was happening and somebody saw that and thought, hmm, there's kind of people seeing them do that. They looks like kind of a neat thing to do because they're looking at us, right? Well, he says here in Acts 5, listen to what happens here. Acts 5 verse 1, But a certain man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property and kept back some of the price for himself with his wife's full knowledge. And bringing in a portion of it, he laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the price of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? This is a phony baloney giving deal here. They were giving to be seen. They still had control. It was bogus. He says here, why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men but to God. And as he heard these words, Ananias fell down and breathed his last, and great fear came upon all who heard of it. And the young men arose and covered him, and after carrying him out, they buried him. Now there elapsed an interval of about three hours, and his wife came in not knowing what had happened. And Peter, and Peter responded to her, Tell me whether you sold the land for such and such a price. She had a chance to come clean, didn't she? And she said, Yes, that was the price. Then Peter said to her, Why is it that you have agreed together to put the Holy Spirit of the Lord to the test? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they shall carry you out as well. And she fell immediately at his feet and breathed her last. And the young men came in and found her dead. And they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. In the early church, the Lord didn't—he he, well, he he didn't put up a sin there. He dealt with it as examples for us. We don't give for people to see. We don't give with the wrong motives. God didn't take too kindly to their false giving, did He? He struck them dead as an example. Folks, if you come here week after week and you don't have a right heart to give to the Lord to honor Him from the first of your wealth to take care of needs you need to check your heart you know we don't come here every week and talk about giving but that's what this passage talks about you need to check your heart is your relationship with christ right now by and large this church is very generous and very gracious and i praise the lord for that i praise the lord for that but where's your heart if you're giving simply for a tax write-off or to unload stuff that's in your garage i remember someone who was here a long time ago Who just unloaded the junk in their garage. And they were—they came and said, why haven't I got my tax receipt yet? You know, I'm like, oh boy, you know. Give God your junk and then demand a receipt. Okay? Not right. If you failed in your giving, if you felt compelled because your heart's not right with the Lord, confess that and get your heart right and then give for the right reasons. Don't go, well, my heart's not right, so I'm not going to give. Get your heart right. Get your heart right. There are financial needs in the body and in the ministry. And if you close your heart to that, how can the love of Christ be in you? Our needs. So back to what we see here. Paul wasn't driven by want back in Philippians. He didn't need the gift. But nevertheless, he said, Philippians, you've done well. You have done well. You've done well. And again, notice how they had done well. Look at verse 17. Look at verse 17. Actually, before that, before that, I want to I give an exhortation here. I forgot to do this. Um, maybe God has caused you to come into great wealth, and God does it at times. Um, he has made it clear in His Word for me to instruct you, and so I'm going to instruct you. Turn to First Timothy chapter 6. I'm, I'm commanded to instruct you, so this is the time to do it. And by the way, even what we consider great wealth—by and large, those of us here who are just earning a regular living—are are, we're really, really wealthy. We're really wealthy compared to this, this culture that's come up before us in, in in the world. First Timothy chapter six, chapter six, verse seventeen. And this is a command to Timothy, and thus I take it as a command to me as a pastor teacher. It says, "Instruct those who are rich." In this present world not to be conceited. Don't don't think you did it. Don't think it's from you. God did it. So so don't do that. Or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches. Don't put your hope in the bank account. You got a big big count. The numbers are big. Don't put your hope in that. Don't do that. But put your hope on God, who richly supplies us all things to enjoy. Isn't that gracious? Isn't that gracious? Now, Paul said he learned the, how to be content with much and with little. He said, storing up, and he says, instruct them to do good. Do good. That means use your finances to do good. That's the implication. To be rich in good works, to be generous. Generous. And ready to share. And guess what? If you're doing that, you're storing up for yourself or themselves treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. Be generous in the Lord. Trust in him. Don't put your trust in the riches. Don't think you did it. You got there. It's God's graciousness. And enjoy it. He gives all good things to enjoy. But be generous and put that up in heaven rather than on earth. Store it up there. Store it up there. So back to our passage. Now back to Philippians chapter verse 17 he's going to clarify he says not that i seek the gift itself hey i don't actually seek the actual gift but i seek and this is the right heart from the apostle paul the profit which increases to your account this is the mindset of those who are content in christ they don't need the gift they're thankful and they're just thankful and they're looking at what does this gift do in the spiritual scheme of things when someone gives with the right heart, there is profit that is put to your eternal account. I seek that for you, he's saying. I seek that. I seek the eternal reward, in a sense, for you, that this gracious gift you have given for me that I don't need. I don't need it. I don't seek it. Did Paul care if he got a tax write-off? Not saying we're not good stewards. Be a good steward. But if that's your motivation alone, and that controls how you give, that's a problem. Okay? Okay? Paul sought the eternal reality for it. Not that I seek the gift itself, or then literally, but rather I seek for the profit which it increases to your account. The word profit means fruit. That it increases, superabounds more and more. God's equations are quite different, by the way. When we give, he abounds it, you know? It's quite amazing. He who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. What Paul is saying is that the Spirit-led, Christ-focused love for the brethren and the ministry manifest in giving brings spiritual increase. Spiritual increase. There's reward in heaven. i got a bunch of verses. I don't know if we have time for it, but there's reward. Luke chapter 6, verse 38. I'll read it for you. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. He says, they will pour it on your lap. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. Someone could be very poor and give a ton, and someone could be very rich and give a ton, but it's not a lot. It's where the heart's at. It's where the heart's at. Give in good measure, press down, overflowing. Matthew six verse two. We already read this. When you give alms, you know, don't with the left hand know the right. It says you'll get your. If you do that, you want people to see. You get your full reward on earth. But Matthew sixteen verse nine talks about where we have our treasure is there. Your heart will be also. And God's going to reward you. So then, tremendous, wonderful situation. Paul doesn't seek the cash, but he's content in Christ. He doesn't speak from want because he's content. But what he seeks is the profit or the fruit that it brings to their account. Superabounding, superabounding. That's the right mindset of those who believe and understand Christ is sufficient. Christ is sufficient. And notice, not only is he concerned for their eternal welfare, he's also concerned for their temporal welfare, the reality of what happens in this life. Look back at our passage, chapter 4, verse 17. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek the profit for which it increases to your account. But I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received everything from Epaphroditus, what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God and to my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. He says, I've received everything Epaphroditus through you, Epaphroditus says you've sent. And you remember Epaphroditus traveled 1,600 miles to bring this gift to Paul. And he got sick and he almost died. Look at chapter 2. And Paul sent him back because he was so concerned for the Philippians who were so concerned for him. And then he says something about their gift, which is really amazing. He says... He says, it is a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. This is what giving should be. The term fragrant aroma here in the Greek translation of the Old Testament uh, is often translated um, a a pleasing aroma. It's used over and over again in Leviticus and Numbers. It speaks of God's response to a a sacrifice offered rightly according to his, his provision. And here, we know that that pointed to Christ, ultimately those sacrifices, and his perfect acceptable sacrifice. And here, when you give, like they had given, Paul says it's a fragrant aroma. It's acceptable. It's an acceptable sacrifice. It is a sacrifice. By the way, it's a sacrifice to give. You could go spend it instead, (laughs) right? Is it a sacrifice? Yes, it is. It is a sacrifice. You could use it for something else says it's acceptable, and he says it's well-pleasing. And by the way, there's no way to please God apart from faith. It's done in faith. Lord God, I'm trusting you to use this for your glory. Whatever you want me to give, I prompt my heart, Lord God. Help me to be generous like you want me to be. And guess what? God is really clear that he provides for those who are generous. He provides. We know that Christ's sacrifice was the same word, a fragrant aroma. Chapter 5 of Ephesians. He gave himself up for us offering and a sacrifice as a fragrant aroma. One of the reasons we have our offering, you can give any time, there's nothing, no restriction or anything like that in the sense for, for how God leads you, but we have our offering during the service is because it's worship. It's worship. It's part of our worship service. It's a sacrifice. It's a fragrant aroma. Acceptable to him. Well-pleasing. Well-pleasing. Proverbs 21:26. When the righteous gives, he does not hold back. 27. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination. How much more when he brings it with evil intent? Proverbs 3, 9, Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first year produce. So your barns will be filled with plenty, your vats will overflow with new wine. Turn to uh. This is our last sermon in Philippians, so we're going to go a little late, but uh, turn. Turn to uh, Malachi chapter 3. See, the Apostle Paul, as you're turning there, makes the promise that when your heart's right in giving, God's going to supply your needs. Philippians, you gave out of your poverty. You gave for me. I didn't need it. I'm not seeking it. I seek what it does for you. You gave out of your poverty. You do well to share in affliction. And my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. You trust the Lord and give by faith. God will take care of you. Malachi chapter 3, verse 8. Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have I robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that, you, so that there may be food in my house. To test me now just in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you blessing until it overflows, then I will rebuke the devourer for, f- devourer for you, so that it will not destroy the fruits of the ground, nor the vine in the fields cast its grapes, says the Lord of hosts. And all the nations will call you blessed, for you shall be delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. Maybe your financial woes are because your finances are not His. Maybe you're not freely giving to him, and that's why you're where you're at. I don't know. But I know if we trust him, if our hearts are right, he says back in our passage, my God shall supply all your needs, all your needs. According to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. One last time, turn to Second Corinthians, because when we give, one of the reasons we give is that God would be thanked and glorified. Verse 20 back in turn to 2 Corinthians 9, but verse 20 in our passage, Now the God and Father are to be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And then look at our passage in 2 Corinthians 9. He says, Now he who supplies, excuse me, verse 10, Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and the increase of harvest of righteousness. Hey, you give, God will supply to give more. You will be enriched in everything for all liberality. That means giving freely. Who through us is producing thanksgiving to God. Gracious, Christ-centered, spirit-led giving brings thankfulness to God. For the ministry of this service, not only in fully supplying the needs of the saints, but also overflowing through many thanksgivings to God. But because of the proof given of the ministry, they will glorify God for your obedience to your confession to the gospel of Christ and the liberality of your contribution to them. While they also, by prayer on your behalf, yearn for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you, you cause them to give God glory because God used them to provide for your needs. He says, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. God gave it all in Christ." And we should be ready to give what he has from us for his body. Back to our passage. God will supply your needs. Trust him. Give as he leads. Be generous with a right heart. Not because I told you to do it. Not because the word says so. Get your heart right from what the word says. So then verse 20. Now to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. May he get the glory. May he get the glory. Don't seek to be provided for. Christ will provide for you. Think about others. More important than yourself when it comes to finances. Think about it that way. So with that in mind, basically we've effectively finished Philippians, but there's some greetings in the end here. Let's just read through these. Verse 21, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. Paul loved Christ and his people. The brethren who are with me greet you. Hey, they send their greetings. Verse 22, all the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. Praise the Lord. Paul was shared the gospel, and people got saved while he's in chains. And they are saying, greet the, greet the brothers and sisters. Don't tell Caesar, right? <laughs> the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. May his grace be with you. Tremendous and wonderful book. We're done So what can we learn from it today? Those who are content are not driven by want. Those who are content have learned the secret. We're empowered by Christ to do all things. And those who are content are more concerned for others than they are for themselves as manifest in their giving in the body of Christ. We've seen the secret. So what about us? What about us? Where's your heart? All these things are a test for where your heart is. And if you're a true believer, God wants to weed out those things that are in the way so that you'd walk rightly with him, that your heart would be right. And it's going to be manifest in your giving, You just be honest with you. It's going to be manifest. And it's my desire to see that whatever is given, however it's given, which I'm not going to see with how it's given, brings to your account eternally that God is glorified and he is thanked and given the glory for everything. And maybe some of you aren't saved as evidenced by the way you look at money. Use that as an understanding that you need salvation. Confess your sin and trust in Christ. Rely on him. And when you come to faith in him and he changes you and you want to give, he will supply all your needs, all your needs, through his glory and riches in Christ Jesus. You'll get, you'll get taken care of. He'll take care of you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and I thank you for this lesson today and help us to see everything in our lives, including money and the way it's spent and the way we think about it more prominently. That we would, uh, see it rightly. That we would be those who graciously honor you from the first fruits and from our wealth because we love you, because we see it all as yours. And we want you to be glorified in the results that come from it. We want you to be thanked. We want you to be praised. And I thank you for the promise that you will take care of us when we are considering others as more important than ourselves. That's in Jesus' name.